What's up, kids, folk? Welcome to the number one ranked show sponsored by Direct TV Stream. I am your host, RJ Young. Today on the show, I'm going to unveil my top 25 rankings for week one. Yes, I know I wrote about it for the Fox Sports app. I was there. But there was some moving and shaking with a ranked matchup for me on Sunday featuring Florida State and Notre Dame. Speaking of Notre Dame, we're going to talk about Brian Kelly, Marcus Freeman, and the state of college football head coaching. We're also going to point and laugh at FCS teams and G5 teams robbing Power 5 teams in broad daylight of their money and their wins. Let's go. It's the number one ranked show. matters but all wins aren't equal after week one but win at all costs win against ranked teams that matters more which is another way of saying the strength or lack thereof of your schedule and your individual opponents matters in a 12 game season I've little patience for losers and these rankings reflect that now as you can see here We've hidden my top 10 teams, which will be revealed in due time, dear viewer, and elaborated on, dear listener. But at number 25, I have Michigan State, right, who only had a tailback rush for 264 yards and four TDs. And I got a lot more on them a little bit later on. At number 24, Rutgers. Yes, that's right. That Rutgers. That Rutgers. They put 61 up on Temple. They had five turnovers in the game created. Like, between those two facts, I'm thinking Greg Schiano knows what he's doing in Piscataway. It's the P word. But, like, look, I'm here if you want to try to debate this, but I'm going to win, right? Look, Florida ain't played nobody. 35-14 against Florida Atlantic does not impress me, especially when your quarterback goes 17-27 for 113 with two picks. And a TD. I don't care how good you are at running the football. It's Florida Atlantic. You're supposed to drop 70 on them. You are the University of Florida. Get out of my face. Auburn, I got some for you too. Crushing Akron 60 to 10 doesn't impress me. All right. It doesn't impress anybody. It's Akron. Who have you played? Like, you have more to show with a first year head coach and Brian Harson. Missouri beating a Jim McElwain less Central Michigan 38 24 does not impress me. Right. I mean, I can keep going through here. Tennessee rolling up Bowling Green does not impress me. All right. Like any FBS team beating an FCS team does not impress me. That's what you paid for. You paid for that win, which is going to be fun when we talk about it. At number 23, I have North Carolina State. All they did was put up 500 yards of offense, 45 points on South Florida and give up zero, nada, nothing. You'll get nothing and like it. All right. Number 22, Kansas State. Deuce Vaughn, man. That dude's a monster. Like, I got a lot of mo on Kansas State, but Deuce Vaughn is holding it down for the short kings, and I love it. All right, number 21, I got Wisconsin. You lost to Penn State. You're lucky to be here. At number 20, I have Vitek. All they did was, you know, upset the number 10 team in the country and cook Sam Howell like a plate of grits, all right? At number 19, I got Cincinnati. Okay, Cincy fans. Y'all ain't played nobody. You ain't played nobody. What am I supposed to reward you for? Your defensive coordinators at Notre Dame. All right? 
You got a lot of mo to show. Go beat Notre Dame and hope that they're undefeated when you do. And I will be your champion. Okay. Like 100%. I'm that dude that will be like Jeffrey Chaucer touting you like Sir Ulrich von Lichtenstein if you get through that because I'm a G5 dude at heart, but you got you to earn it, baby. 1 0 ain't going to do it for me. All right. You're going to have to be there in November. All right. At number 18, I got Arizona State. It's a good football team. Pac 12 South is loaded, which we'll get to. Number 17, Coastal Carolina. They opened the season putting up 50. You know what I mean? Like, it's Jamie Chadwell. <laughs> Them dudes know what they're doing. And after what we saw from Louisiana, probably looking at Coastal Carolina trying to go back and defend its Sun Belt Championship. At number 16, I got Texas Christian, uh, a.k.a. TCU. Zach Evans is a dude. I know what they have at quarterback, and that's a big one for me. And it's a Gary Patterson-led defense. I know they're going to cook somebody. And you know what? It might be Texas, who we'll talk about here in a little bit later. And number 15, I got Iowa State. I docked them because you were in a one-possession game with Northern Iowa. I don't care how good Northern Iowa is. You are supposed to be a top-10 team, and a top-10 team puts them away by at least three touchdowns, all right? Now, you got a big game coming up this weekend against another team that I'm very high on in the Iowa Hawkeyes. But you got a lot of mo. You got a show. At number 15, we got you. Oh, now, Utah, y'all got a big game coming up against another team I like in SC. Hold on. You got to do what Cincy does. You got to go show me, baby. And, and you're going to have opportunity. Number 13, I got UCLA. Their resume includes a rank win against an LSU team that I had put in the top 10. All right. Chip Kelly knows how to run football. Dorian Thompson Robinson was cooking that secondary. I like me some UCLA. I got a little bit more on them a little bit later on, and we're going we to definitely get the gap. All right, at number 12, Clemson. Look, Clemson is 12 because I couldn't make him 11th, and if you're not in on that joke, that joke ain't for you. But you ain't scoring no points with the offense. Save the three. Yeah, two yards rushing. I don't care how good George's defense is. You had two yards rushing. At one point, I looked down at that game and saw y'all had a negative number of rush yards, all right? Now, you might think that QB rush yards and, like, the sack yards going into rushing is, like, gorilla math or whatever, but so are tax brackets and student loan debt, and yet here we are. This is how we do it. When you rush for 300, we tell you you rush for 300. This time, you rush for two and scored three. You're lucky to still be here ranked, and you ain't got nobody left on your schedule. I don't want to hear it. Okay, this was a play-in game for you in the college football playoff, far as I'm concerned, because there are going to be some undefeated teams there late. And if a one-loss Clemson team got in over an undefeated Cincinnati, we riot. Full stop. All right. At number 11, I got Texas A&M, ampersand U, put a shock into the golden flashes. But remember when I said that I had a lot of mo on Michigan State? I got a lot of mo on Michigan State. All right, so it's not just that Kenneth Walker III rushed for 264 yards in their opener against Northwestern. It's that he's Michigan State's leading rusher in 2020 already because their leading rusher had 219 yards rushing last year, all of last year. And they did it against a defending Big Ten West champion Northwestern. That impresses me. Mel Tucker cooking out there. And you know what? Mel Tucker knows how to go get the talent. Okay, he knows how to recruit the talent. He knows how to develop the talent. 
when Mel Tucker was at Ohio State, it's not just that he was secondary coach and they won national championships. It's not just that he was defensive coordinator and they were real good. It's that that dude recruited and developed Dustin Fox at corner. Now, if you don't understand what I'm getting at there, go ahead and put Dustin Fox into the Googles. And if you still don't get it, then you still don't get it. But that's Mel Tucker out there doing it big. Stops at Georgia, stops at Colorado. Now he's back in the Big Ten where he knows what's up. And he's in the second toughest, maybe the toughest now, division in all of football. All right? At number 13. And I have 13? 14. 13. 13. But uh, we're going to get to UCLA in a second. I want to get to Kansas State. That's a 22. Yeah. Number 22, Kansas State. All right. I told you how much I like the short game. I told you how much I like Deuce Vaughn. It's that the man averaged nine and a half yards per rush, had 124 on the ground against Stanford at Jerry World, okay? It's also that Kansas State didn't allow a Stanford score until there was 3.53 left to play in the game. They were shutting them out, all right? I don't care what you have to say about Stanford football. They know how to play ball control, offense, and defense. And for Kansas State to show up and say, no, 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 we know who we are. We got a quarterback that was around for the uh, Obama administration. And we got the Dynamo Deuce in the backfield. I think that Kansas State can't wait to play Oklahoma again. Because in the Chris Kleiman era, they are undefeated against Oklahoma as loud as I'm going to say that. All right. At number 13, I've been charged up to talk about this. We got UCLA, okay? It's not just they got a ranked win against LSU. It's that UCLA whooped a ranked LSU team and then hit them up style. Will Lil Elf get the gap? Now, for those of y'all that don't know that there are levels and layers to this, let me, let me, it's the sissy blue shirt, okay? Like, the sissy blue shirt is what put it over the top for me. We got Ed Orgeron. Walking through, talk about bring you behind. Only he didn't say behind. And your sissy blue shirt. Look at him. 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 And then, and then the UCLA players get the get in the locker room. Shout out to Jimma Bordelon. Because, like, that's her. That's for y'all. It was at the White House dancing to get the get. Right? And you saw the lady jump, jump in their front, you know, when they was, you know, with the guns up and whatnot. It's, it's uh, troll levels are over 9,000. And it's also Maryland in there. Okay? Now, Maryland did not make my top 25 because, quite honestly, a 30-24 to 24 win against West Virginia ain't good enough. But this is, look at this! They put them on a cover! Certified loser boys! Yo! Like, old school me is going, ah! Like, the, the social game of these college football programs is next level. Like, they took the header down, but for a good 12 hours, UCLA had a header up that said, you know, peep the header, and it was the sissy blue shirt. And then we get Maryland styling on the Mountaineers, talking about certified loser boy. I love that. I love that so much. All right. Now, I want to go through the rest of my top 10. And we're going to start at number 10, where I have Notre Dame. Okay. Notre Dame won in overtime at Doe Campbell, 41-38 but needed overtime to beat Florida State. Florida State team that I ranked at number 25 and that y'all told me wasn't no good, okay? I submit to you, if Mike Norvell 
starts my man's McKenzie Milton from the jump. They're up 14 and the game's over. Because I told y'all, Florida State is not only good, they're super talented. You see Jermaine Johnson coming off the edge? You see Andrew Parker outside? Did you see Ja'Shawn Corbin just flying? Them boys is fast, super fast. Now, put the right quarterback in the driver's seat, man. Like, I tweeted this, and it's not disrespect. It's just the truth. You can't tell me that Mackenzie Milton lost a QB derby to Jordan Travis, especially after what we saw, all right? I don't know what it is, but put the dude in there that had a life or death situation, come back from it, and then goes four for four on a drive that you must have to put this game into overtime. Mackenzie Milton, man. This, this weekend was yours, and I love that so much, but it also, we got to talk about Notre Dame here in a little bit, okay? We got to talk a little bit more about Notre Dame. At number nine, I got Iowa. Its resume is a win against number 17, Indiana, where a defensive back by the name of Riley Moss, no relation, outscored Indiana 12-6 to by himself, all right? That's not easy to do. And if you got a true scoring defense, I feel good about you. Because it looked like the Big Ten West, in particular, might have some defenses between themselves. Maybe a Minnesota doesn't play in Ohio State. We'll see, right? I really like what I saw from them. Tyler Goodson is still that dude, right? Spencer Petras is a threat to run. You're in a good spot here, man. I like Iowa. I like it very, a lot. And I think I like them. I think I like them against Iowa State, but um, we're going to see. They got a unanimous All-American running back at, at Iowa State. We're going to see. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right. Number eight, I got Oregon. Okay. You got a nail-biting win against a good Fresno State team. It's still, it's still Fresno State. I love it. And if Fresno State would have pulled off the upset, that's my group of five darling. But they didn't. And you survived. You survived without a Kayvon Thibodeau, who is day-to-day, and we hope to see against Ohio State. But you got a big one, baby. You got to travel to Columbus. You got to you got to travel to Columbus after they they have not had football in the shoe for more than 650 days. It's going to be loud, it's going to be raucous. Joe Moorhead told Mario Cristobal, "It's one of the most intimidating environments that I've ever had the privilege of coaching in." The shoe going to bring it and you better. Don't make me look bad, Ohio State fans. I I didn't gas you up now. Go show out. Number 7. We got USC. It's a great win against a very good San Jose team. Uh, San Jose State team, excuse me. Shout out to Nick Starkle. USC is one of my dark horses to start the season. I love this roster that Clay Helton has put together. I like Keaton Slovis being back. I like that they fortified the defense. I like that they went into Texas and took out three dudes, four dudes, Jake Smith, Keontae Ingram, Malcolm Epps, and Xavier Alford, like, they're going to be all right. They're going to be pretty good. All right. And number six, I got smoke for this. Texas. Texas fans, y'all don't know what to do with me right now, do you? I'm just going to bask in this because you're like, is RJ, is RJ with us? Is RJ get us? What? I thought RJ was running with the O. I'm running with good football. Y'all play doggone good football. You got a ranked win against a defending Sunbelt co-conference champ, Louisiana, with 98% of the 2020 team intact. So you basically played the 2020 team. Texas fans, when you speak of me, speak of me well. Now, don't go out there and lay that against Arkansas because you know Arkansas wants y'all in the worst way. They got to sell out, okay? They want you. They, they, they want all of you. They said, come on. 
You know, they got signs up say, bring us Texas. At number five, I got Penn State. All right. Penn State was really, really impressive. They go from unranked for me to number five for what they did against Wisconsin. It's not that it was 0-0 into the middle of the third quarter. It's that Wisconsin might be the best defensive Penn State, or excuse me, best defense Penn State sees all year. And the defensive coordinator, Brent Pry, is dialed in with Ellis Brooks, who had 11 tackles and a sack before getting tossed on a bogus targeting penalty. Penn State could give Ohio State a run for its money later this season if it can find a way to score with the Buckeyes. And I say that because you'll see Jahan Dotson running wide open and free. Like, that man could have kept running. With Mike Yersich calling plays and finding ways to get this man wide open, you can do these sorts of things. It's that Sean Clifford found himself and found big plays in the second half, right? That's the reason I think that they're in the right direction. You got Noah Kane, who is a lot of fun to watch. I think they're going to be in a position to make some noise here. But they got to keep it going. All right. Now to the nitty-gritty. My playoff teams today. Number four, the team I picked to win the national championship, Oklahoma. And a bit of scoop here for you on the number one ranked show. Okay. Source told me center Andrew Rame tested positive for COVID. And in the lead up to Oklahoma's game against Tulane, passed his heart test on Monday, was in quarantine until Thursday, participated in just one practice before kickoff last Saturday. And he's full go this week. So you ought to see every bit of one of the most talented offensive linemen that Oklahoma's ever recruited. And they just put one of those dudes into the NFL. Andrew Rame is legging out triples at 280 pounds, okay? That dude's next level. Other thing about this, right, that I want to get to is Ohio State been the mix here because they're at number three. But I bring that up because I want to tie that into Oklahoma. Oklahoma survives 40-35 against Tulane. It's not a good look. It's not a good look, okay? It's so bad a look that I feel like you're – a little bit undisciplined and you got the cart ahead of the horse. It's not that Spencer Rattler was 30 or 39, 300. It's that Spencer Rattler threw two picks, right? It's that Tulane is down 34 to 14 and Michael Pratt and them will themselves back in this. And we're talking about a Friday night lights, 1988 Permian Panthers versus Dallas Carter kind of finish. Cause they just came up a yard short of being able to not, Close the game, win the game. That's tremendous to me, all right? Tulane has my whole heart. Them boys was displaced by a hurricane. They put install in, in Birmingham on Wednesday, traveled for a home game in Norman on Saturday, and played their hearts out. All respect to the Teal Splash. All respect to Michael Pratt and Nim, because it showed up like they wanted every bit of, a bit of Oklahoma, and Oklahoma – showed up like they thought that they were going, you know, get this win they paid for, which again, we will get to. Number three, Ohio State, as I mentioned, it's not that they were down 14 to seven at half, though that's not a good look against Minnesota in Minneapolis. It's that when it clicked, it clicked big. You got 14 freshmen, true freshmen that played in that game. You got 128 yards on the ground from the rise of the Mayan empire, pork chop Mayan Williams. You got Travion Henderson, who I've been telling y'all and telling y'all and telling y'all is next, going for 70 yards. C.J. Stride finds himself, and, and in finding himself, Stroud was able to get uh, touchdown passes to Alave and Wilson. And a note for you to hold on to, when Alave and Wilson score touchdowns, Ohio State is undefeated. 
they are 6-0. and So, Oregon, if you think you want to have a chance in this, keep Olave and Wilson out of the end zone. Maybe one, but not two. All right, the other part about this that I find interesting is, you see how we're saying that maybe Ohio State is not that good? You see how we're saying that maybe Oklahoma is not that good? This is the survive and advance part of the schedule. And I say that because in 2018, Syracuse nearly beat Clemson. Clemson comes back and wins it 27-23. Clemson runs the rest of the table undefeated and then hands Nick Saban the worst loss in his entire career, 44-16. We don't really know. We just know that they are super talented. And if Clemson could figure it out after just barely beating Syracuse 27-23, I think Ryan Day, Lincoln Riley, Ohio State, Oklahoma can figure it out after surviving in the case of Oklahoma and really finding themselves in the third quarter in the case of Ohio State. All right. At number two, I got Georgia. Ray Charles is Georgia. Okay. Run the doggone ball, Georgia. It's got a true scoring defense because the defense scored the only touchdown of the game. 10 to three win against the number three team in the country on a neutral site. Held Clemson to two rushing yards, three points, and sacked Uwe Ungalale seven times. Georgia putting out mixtapes like Joe Exotic because it's them that's the Tiger King now. Alabama is also prancing in weight like Carol Baskin in the flower crown. So don't, don't, you know, still got Alabama there, which is kind of the point that I want to raise here. Alabama is number one and it's not close. Like if I could put spaces in between Alabama and the next like five spots, I would. Monster win against ranked Miami, 44 to 13. I'm beginning to believe it wasn't Thanos, but Nick Saban who snapped his fingers and created this grateful universe after ragdolling the Avengers in a comeback bid that fell short. Get the TVA on that, okay? Uh, Kong, go figure that out for me, right? Alabama is just... Look, man, I was right to doubt him with all the turnover because we would doubt anybody. But Nick Saban is just on some – like, they're the only team that really, truly reloads because there's a bunch of dudes that I swear to you, the college casual college football fan doesn't know by name who are out there styling on Miami, okay? Just you're styling on Miami with Ed Reed in attendance as chief staff of Manny Diaz. It's Alabama's world. We live in it for the time being, right? Maybe something happened. But for now, it's Alabama, okay? And now, for a little segment we like to call Put the Money in the Bag. The Stick Up Kids, Knock Knock Boys, we're out like it's Halloween with a bucket out. You better fill it up or you're going to have to bucket out. And that's how some of these Jason Voorhees coming for your knees, capitalistic, stimulate the economy with this flow. And that line got layers. Like Clubber Lane got a lot of mo, a lot of mo. All right. In a battle of redundancies across divisions, FCS, South Dakota State, traveled to South, or excuse me, traveled South to Colorado State, made the Rams choose to switch off the old oak tree, and wore CSUs behind out 42-23. South Dakota State had their last win against an FBS team before pouring the 55-gallon drum of whooping on the Rams in 2015, it was a 41 38 win against Kansas, undefeated Kansas. Put some respect on it. The Coloradoan reported Colorado State really did pay these boys to put it on them. 
And that's where I got to let that joke die. But seriously, SDSU is a great football program. And I'm sure Rams fans would have liked to have seen their team get a win at home against a power five opponent. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, right? Sort of. The Jacks went eight and two last spring, lost the FCS National Championship game, Sam Houston State 23-21 in May. They're legit, and they were running up and down the Rams like they were. All right. <clears throat> Tulsa lost to FCS UC Davis 19-17 at home on Thursday. UC Davis? Yes, UC Davis traveling halfway across the country, climbing up one division, kicking in the door at my alma mater and demanding the vault full of cash with no ski mask, just tools and brass like Tulsa. Put the money in the bag. Hero Sports reports the Aggies, you know, got paid $400,000 for that win. Okay. It's not that Northern Illinois beat Georgia Tech 22 to 21 in Atlanta is that Georgia Tech paid for the privilege. Georgia putting money in the bag at million dollars. Okay, all right. It's not just that FCS Montana upset Washington 13 to seven in Seattle. It's that the Washington Huskies paid for the privilege, $675,000. Washington put the money in the bag. Okay, it's not just that Illinois lost to UTSA, U-G-L-Y, you ain't got no alibi because you ugly. Yeah, yeah, you ugly. Or that was the loss, 37-30. In Champaign, it's also that Illinois paid over a million dollars for the privilege. Illinois put the money in the bag. It's not just that Cal lost to Nevada 22-17 at Memorial Stadium in beautiful Berkeley, California. It's that Cal paid over $400,000. On top of that, Nevada coach Jay Norvell received a $25,000 bonus for a win against a Power 5 opponent. That's gone. That's gone. It's kind of like the Hotel of California going into foreclosure. Cal put the money in the bag. It's not that UConn lost to Holy Cross. It's that two days later, after paying for the privilege, UConn head coach Randy Edsel announced his retirement began immediately. The cross put Edsel out of business. Foreclosure. UConn put the money in the bag. It's not that Vanderbilt lost 23-3 to East Tennessee State. It's that Vandy paid $400,000 of Cornelius' money for the privilege. The Bucks getting buck in your boneyard or turning your rail yard into a boneyard chanting S-E-C, S-E-C. They also got 63 hotel rooms for that too, right? Vandy put the money in the bag. All right. You know me. I like my jokes. I like to have a good time. But I'm going to get serious on you right quick, okay? Because we got to talk about black college football coaches. All right? All right. Now that we do have to get into it, I'm going to start with an immortal line from Ralph Wiley, who once said, pack a lunch, 
we're going to talk black folks and sports. Indy coach Brian Kelly has made one mistake after another recently. He put his foot in his mouth twice. On Sunday night, Kelly took a question about holding off Florida State 41-38 in overtime at Doe Campbell Stadium and turned it into a cringeworthy moment at best. After his team blew an 18-point fourth-quarter lead, he told Katie George, quote, I'm in favor of execution. Maybe our entire team needs to be executed after tonight. Brian Kelly, no. First, any allusions to the death penalty in a game played by men who have class today ought to be avoided by a person paid to coach football. Second, a college football coach is supposed to empower those men who have class today, work a full-time job that we call being a student athlete, and do not enjoy the backing, representation, and defense a players union could provide. Lastly, a college football coach is not supposed to joke about off with their heads like the Red Queen. But Kelly thought he was only being funny with a bit of inarticulate joke theft circa 1976. That's the year John McKay, who'd won four national titles at USC, coached the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to an 0-14 season. That year, McKay was asked about his team's execution, to which he famously said, I'm in favor of it. See, McKay told a joke. Kelly said he was doing the same. And he says much post-game press conference. He said, quote, it's an old John McKay quote. I was kidding. It was tongue in cheek. It wasn't funny. I was talking and making a joke. Are we really taking it seriously? Are you people crazy? End quote. Nah, bro. We're not crazy. It just wasn't funny. No matter how Kelly tried to make us feel crazy for thinking critically about the words said by a coach of one of the most visible programs in the sport. The death penalty is one of the most contentious issues in this country. It's even used to describe the worst punishment ever levied on a football program. We're not crazy to believe joking about executing kids is a bad look, especially when you deliver the joke so badly. Look, I love jokes. I study joke writing. I write a bunch of them for this show. I try them out, post a bunch of them on Twitter to see what works and what doesn't for this show. And then when I feel they are polished enough for you, I deliver them, hoping to surprise you with a punchline hammer so ticklish you can't help but belly laugh. It's why this show looks and feels like a late night show with a quad espresso shot of college football. It's why I stay in the lab, work in the keyboard slab. It's my privilege to write and host this show. We are a G5 team that has to secure the bag. And I want y'all to laugh. We all want to believe we're funny. We are willing to make people mad at times if the majority of people laugh. But paralleling poor play execution to actual execution is as difficult to laugh at as telling a death penalty joke on live national television. But the jokes we choose to tell are the truth we believe. Kelly has already shown he sometimes has a difficult time communicating what feels fairly obvious, like that he made ND defensive coordinator, Marcus Freeman, his successor in South Bend. In NBC Sports' Race in America uh, candid conversation, Kelly cited Marcus Freeman and appeared to throw down a marker on Freeman's coaching future while in conversation with Steph Curry, Dale Curry, and others. Kelly said, quote, my defensive coordinator is black. 
as if we can't see that. And he's going to be the next head coach. This is not about color or race. This is about things that he just talked about. Steph talked about the important things to be a CEO and understanding how to make people around you better, end quote. Now, I said appeared to throw down a marker because Kelly backed off naming Freeman his successor last Monday. But this raises two important questions. The first one is, why is it a problem for Kelly, who turned 60 in October, to name a head coach in waiting? He wouldn't be the first to do it. Barry Alvarez did it at Wisconsin. Mac Brown did it at Texas. And Bobby Bowden did it at Florida State, among others. Didn't always work out, but they did it. But the other question is, I think, more interesting. Why is it a big deal for Freeman and not, say, ND offensive coordinator and former ND quarterback Tommy Reese to receive that same kind of affirmation? ND has only had one black head coach since it began playing college football in the 19th century. That came in 2002 when the Fighting Irish hired Tyrone Willingham, whose previous stop was Stanford. And that tracks. Stanford has one of the best records in all of the sport among Power Five coaches, or excuse me, Power Five institutions in hiring black head coaches. Denny Green became the first black man to head coach a Power Five program at Northwestern in 1981. But the four letter network found since 1981, only 39 black men have been hired as head coaches. That's 39 black head coaches in 40 years in a sport with 130 jobs annually means fewer than 10% of all head coaching hires have been black men. Just 30 of the 65 power five schools have hired a black head coach. Just three black men were hired to become head coaches from 1991, or excuse me, 1981 to 1993. And Denny Green accounts for two of them. He was later like Willingham hired at Stanford where David Shaw is the head coach today. And just four power five programs have hired back-to-back -back black head coaches. And at least three of the four are not what we consider among the best college football jobs in America. Northwestern is one, Stanford is another, Vanderbilt is a third, and Colorado is the fourth who just accomplished that feat with the hire of Mel Tucker before hiring its current head coach, Carl Durrell. And we've seen entire hiring cycles happen without a black head coach at 35, Power Five programs had never hired a black head coach, including the last four to win college football playoff national championships, Alabama, Clemson, LSU, and Ohio State. This is important because a large percentage of the labor force who wins those championships looks like me. 46% of Power Five football players in 2019 were black. That's the largest racial demographic represented. When incorporating the remaining five FBS conferences, the percentage of black men playing college football rises to 52%, despite just 7% of the United States' population is black men. It's not a question of more black head coaches as much as it is about managerial representation in a space where black men are overrepresented in the labor force. In a country that strives to be more perfect, a more perfect union. That is to say, united and equal with a commitment to melting pot principles. This has to change. So as Notre Dame enjoys its overtime win against Florida State 
and attempts to get back to the playoff. Ask yourself why Marcus Freeman, who coordinated Cincinnati to the Peach Bowl last year and has been one of the best defensive coordinators in the sport over the last three years, is still just that, a defensive coordinator and not a Power 5 head coach. Ask yourself why Brian Kelly was in a position to call Marcus Freeman the next head coach and not an opposing head coach. And then commit your attention, abilities, attitude, all to be about that action. Lastly, former USC fullback Sam Bam Cunningham passed away today. He was 71. In 1970, he led the Trojans to a win against Alabama that became one of the moments that helped in integrate college football in the South. Cunningham was a three-year letter winner at USC from 1970 to 1972, earning first-team All-American honors as a senior and captain on the 72 Trojans National Championship team. He rushed for nearly 1,600 yards and scored 13 of his 23 touchdowns in 72 alone. But he is most remembered for beating back the tide. As a sophomore, he rushed for 135 yards and two TDs against Bear Bryant's Bama in Birmingham. The Trojans, coached by John McKay, were the first fully integrated team to play a game against a Bama program that still fielded an all-white team on the field in 1970, though Wilbur Jackson was a member of the Tide roster, breaking its color barrier the same year. He was ineligible to play because he was a freshman. All six of USC's TDs, though, in the 42-21 route of Bama, were scored by black players on a team that featured an all-black backfield. It was a performance that solidified integration at predominantly white institutions had not only come to college football in the South, but it wasn't ever leaving. Cunningham was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in 2010, the year I graduated college and still dreamed of doing what I do for a living today. I write and talk about that sport that means so much to me and my community. And Bam Cunningham is one of those men I owe an unpayable debt. As a black man in big time college football, he posed the only question that should be asked, needs to be answered, and was so beautifully put by the OJs. Can you come out and play? That's it for our show today, but I have the best news to share. Eddie George is coming to the number one ranked show. Stopping by on Sunday, where we will also react to the week two slate of games featuring Oregon at Ohio State at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific on Big Fox. The number one ranked show is hosted by me, RJ Young. Thank you to our sponsor, DirecTV Stream. Our lead producer is Katherine Donnelly. Our director is John Marcus. Our social media manager is Javion Duncan. Our editor is Atang Tejano. Our executive producer is Kristen Herlihy. That's it for me. Deuces. <laughs>